Anyways, Bill, the reason I, I called you, the reason I'm here is because I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about our outreach program. You know, the thing we're doing over there in Africa. I gotta be straight with you. We are hurting for money. Now, if we had the support of good people like yourselves, it sure would help things go a lot smoother over there. Oh, Sam, everybody around here is feeling the pain. I hear that, Bill, I do, but if humans could just see what it is we're doing down there, it's about more than the money. And I ain't asking for a lot. How much you looking for? $5,000 or so. $5,000. Oh, come on, Bill. That ain't hardly gonna put you out there on the street now, is it? Well, that's not no, the point. And, and that's gonna keep them doors open for another six months. Look around here. People are losing their jobs left and right. It's tough to go asking for $5,000 for a bunch of African children halfway around the world. Well, I understand that we got problems right here, but this is a different kind of problem. Different how? That, that orphanage is the last hope these kids got. Now, with that kind of money, we can feed them kids, house them kids, buy me a new generator, which is sorely needed. I gotta tell you, Bill, you would be saving a lot of lives. All right, here's what I'll do. I'll see what I can come up with. Okay. All right. Okay, Bill. Why don't you bring the family over next Sunday? We're having a little bit of a barbecue. Oh, come on in. Mama's baby children's welcome. I am Shannon Dillsball and Shane. This is Lynn. Here's Paige. Good to meet you. Uh, 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 there he is. Paige. Well, Seb, glad y'all could make it. Oh, who's this lovely guy, please? Paige. Uh, I'll tell you what, you come on in here and meet you. This is gentleman I was telling you. Car. Is everything all right? Oh, thank you. What is wrong? He's living in the Taj Mahal. I asked him for $5,000 to feed a bunch of motherless babies, and you know what he gave me? 150 bucks. He spent more than that on salsa for his party. Compare the character of the car dealership in that uh, based on a true story movie to the character from Jesus' story told in Luke chapter 21. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And now ask yourself, are you more like the car dealer, or are you more like the widow from the gospel? 
Now, the difference between the car dealer and the widow, uh, actually, I don't think, is that one was rich and one was poor. And I don't think the difference is that one was uh, stingy and one was generous. I think the key difference is belief in God. Am I suggesting that people who don't give to the work of God don't believe in God? In a way, yes, that is what I'm suggesting. People who don't give generously to the work of God in the world might believe God exists out there somewhere. But they don't believe it enough to put any, stake any part of their daily life on it. They don't trust in the existence of God. You know, when scripture says to believe, especially in the Greek that the New Testament is written in, it doesn't mean that you believe God is out there somewhere. The, the word that's used, and I would tell you what it is, but it so closely resembles a swear word in English that it would just derail everything. Uh, but the word for belief in Greek means that you believe in God as in uh, God is there for you. So you will be there for him because you trust in him. You believe in him. When you think that God exists out there somewhere, uh, scripture doesn't actually call that belief. It calls that Saying you have faith, as in James chapter 2. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Scripture says in any ordinary demon believes that God exists out there somewhere. But to live out your life as if you trust in him, that's another thing. It's like a story a friend of mine told me. He had gone to a convenience store. He bought a bottle of orange juice. He was up at the counter paying for it, decided to open it up and have a drink. And when he twisted the cap off, it did not make the sound. So he told the clerk, uh, this bottle was not sealed. I'd like to get another one. And the clerk was in a hurry, as they are, and kind of sneered a little bit and said, it's fine. So my friend, who really likes that sort of thing, uh, grabbed a cup and poured a little into it and slid it over to the clerk said, you take the first drink, I'll walk out of here with it. Clerk looked at the cup, looked at him and said, get another one. (laughs) Ah, he believed it was fine there somewhere. But when it came to putting his own personhood at stake into the hands of his belief that it was fine, he uh, did not actually believe it. He did not trust, believe it. That's why becoming a follower of Jesus is sometimes called trusting in Jesus. You've heard people say it that way. Perhaps. Have you trusted in Jesus, they might ask you? That's the difference. Here's one of the things Jesus asks us to believe and trust in in his teaching in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is teaching an investment mentality. You invest in things that you believe and you trust will be there for you when the time comes when you need them. So if you invest in the kingdom of God, it's because you believe and trust that the kingdom is coming and now is and God is in control. And if you don't believe and trust in the kingdom of God, then you will try to find something else to invest in to take care of yourself. Fun vacations or big retirement accounts or fancy food or a big house or rental property, whatever it is that that you 
cling to for security or enjoyment. We're all looking for a firm foundation that we can believe and trust in to invest in. So in this house that you have come to this morning with this family, we strongly recommend that you invest in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So what is that? The kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's all used in scripture. That is everything in the world under the rule of a good God. It started at the resurrection. It's been sweeping over the world ever since, and someday in the future it will sweep over the whole world at Christ's return. That can sound scary to some. What kind of ruler will Christ be in his kingdom? Not a cruel tyrant. We can gather that from every story about him. He's the type of God who comes into the world to wash feet like a servant, to let children sit on his lap, and if need be, to die on a cross, to show his great love and his humility. You can trust a king like that. You and I can believe and trust that his kingdom will be a good kingdom, good for you, good for everyone. So when it comes to investing our money in the kingdom of God, it can be described like this. This comes from the book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War, and you're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. While you're in the South, you've accumulated a lot of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war, and the end is imminent. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have any value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. As a Christian, you have inside knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return. This is the ultimate insider trading tip. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first, and an either could happen at any time. Investment experts know, as market timers read signs that the market is about to take a downturn, to recommend switching funds immediately into more dependable vehicles such as money markets, treasury bills, certificates of deposit. Jesus functions here as the foremost market timer. He tells us once and for all to switch investment vehicles. He instructs us to transfer our funds from earth as it is, which is volatile and ready to take a permanent dive, to heaven and earth to come, which is totally dependable, insured by God himself, and is coming soon to forever replace earth's economy. Christ's financial uh, forecast for earth as it is is bleak, but he's unreservedly bullish about investing in heaven, where every market indicator is eternally positive. There's nothing wrong with Confederate money as long as you understand its limits. Realizing its value is temporary should radically affect your investment strategy. To accumulate vast earthly treasures that you can't possibly hold on to for long is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money even though you know it's about to become worthless. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. 
It's just plain stupid. Don't invest in things that last hundreds of years. Think of thousands. Think of tens of thousands. Think of eternity. Think of the long tomorrow. How do we invest in the long tomorrow? The Apostle Paul described how to do that to uh, another pastor named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. This all means that you and I should think of ourselves as stewards. Steward is not a word we use very often now, um, although we still have this job I'm about to describe. They call it something different. I don't have one working for me, so I don't know what it's called. But uh, we were talking about stewards. What's a steward? So think uh, Bible times, think uh, even into the Middle Ages. If, if, if a landowner had a vast estate, that's a lot to look after, including its defense and, and everything. Okay, a lot of decisions. So the comings and goings of the everyday money would be almost a distraction. So he would hire a steward. If he had a huge estate, he would hire multiple stewards, and they would just handle the day-to-day money affairs, investments and collections and fixing things and all that sort of stuff. That's a steward. That's who you and I are to God. God is the vast landowner of all the earth, and we are his stewards managing the resources he gives to us. Now, here's our first question. How does God hire a good steward? What's he looking for? God wants his steward, first of all, to run his estate the way he would run it. God wants his steward to take care of those in need living on the estate, but not to enable them and not to enslave them. God would like it if you taught the poor living on his estate how not to be in need and disaster all the time and instead become productive stewards themselves, giving them skills and dignity. That's real charity. I was just here two Friday nights ago as we were raising money for a Christian organization that wants to start small businesses here in Kansas City and then hire former prostitutes to run those businesses so that they can become financially independent and care for themselves without returning to that horrible lifestyle. That is a great stewardship plan. We should get behind that and we will. God wants also his stewards to spread his kingdom around the world, to share the good news so next year there will be even more stewards working for him and less working against him. That's the church. That's Lakeland. That's with Chapel United Methodist up the hill. That's all the other churches in town. Every other person in church is part of the stewardship department, spreading the good news of the kingdom everywhere. So here's an easy question. If you were God and you were looking for a steward to manage your vast resources, would you hire yourself? If you were God and you were looking for a steward to manage your vast financial resources, would you hire yourself? 
You know, stewards are employees of the landowner. So the steward needs a salary of his own. He has his own needs, his own family, his own little plot within the estate. So here's our next question. Why should a steward be paid? I think we all can understand if you gave your vast financial resources over to a steward and they siphoned off too much of that from the estate into their own pocket, that would annoy the landowner greatly. What you might not have thought about, but was also true, is if the steward siphons over too little, too little, so that every time he has to buy something, he has to either swipe a card or get a loan. And then when he retires from stewardship, he goes right into poverty and he's back on the estate to be cared for. That's actually a future bad use of kingdom resources as well. The landowner's not going to like that too much better. What the steward wants, or what the landowner wants, is for all the stewards to be wise and generous with the money from the kingdom they are given with their own salaries also. So again, let's ask, what should a steward like you and I, working for God, be paid? If the kingdom resources are given over to a steward to manage, what percent should that steward keep for themselves? 30%? Seems like a lot. If you gave someone your money to manage, would you want them keeping 30% of it for themselves? Maybe 10%. Maybe Maybe 2%. If God gives a steward $60,000 a year to manage, should the steward pay himself $20,000 out of it? Or $6,000? Or $1,200? Hard. Here is how God sets the salaries for stewards. All the money in the world belongs to him. And it's used by us. But God is very realistic about the world. He knows He sees how sin has made all the economies of the world lopsided. All things are pretty much more expensive than they should be. Uh, You you can get a medication at the CVS just down the road that will cost you $500 for the bottle. You can get the exact same bottle in Cuba for 50 cents. Something stinks about that. You get a dent in the fender of your car, it can cost more to fix it than the entire car is supposedly worth. That's happened to me twice. They didn't like when I asked, so if I had two dents, what exactly would I be owing you right now? Your furnace stops working, it costs 10% of the value of your entire home to fix it. Mm Mm-mm-mm. Your driveway wears out because the builder used cheap concrete to just replace it with cheap concrete again. Costs more than the car you're going to park on it. This is all sin. But God understands. His kingdom has not yet invaded all of the dark corners yet. Every person in that chain has somebody who contributed to what they had to ask for. So God is generous. God is giving time for all of his sons and daughters in the world to decide, do you want to keep gouging people and wrecking this world with economies that work that way? Or do you want to trust in me and begin to charge fairly for things and be content with what you have? But we're not there yet. So God now has to set salaries for his stewards who have to live in this broken world. So here is how God sets salaries for stewards. He gives you money to manage. Some of you gives a little, some of you gives a lot. If you're my son, God gives you about $600 a year to manage if you count the Christmas gifts. Some of you get $5,000 a year to manage. Some of you have $500,000 a year to manage, some a lot more than that. And you get to keep 90%. 
10% goes back into kingdom ventures. You can live and plan for your future, buying things you need and want, with 90% of God's money. He asks you to use 10% for the furtherance of his kingdom. That is incredibly generous, if not wasteful. Whoever heard of a landowner who pays out salaries like that to his investment steward? That's crazy, crazy generous. Now, what we often see is some stewards are so inspired by the generosity of the landowner that they begin to invest in the kingdom of God even from their own salary, even from the 90%, because they're so uh, sure and trust so much in the kingdom to come, they begin to act like owners of it themselves. But that first 10%, that belonged to God the whole time. That was always to be used for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's the duty of the steward. Stewards who spend from that are considered embezzlers from the kingdom of God. It says in Malachi chapter 3, Should people cheat God, yet you've cheated me? But the people ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour down a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So, in church, we call that first 10% the tithe. It's an ancient uh, Hebrew word that means 10%. And God says, test me. Try it. Now, God doesn't actually say those words very often in Scripture. In fact, this is the only time I can remember God saying in Scripture, try it, put me to the test. Adjust your spending plan, give me the first 10% and see what I'll do. Because you can always go back. If you tithe and everything goes to the bad place in a handcart, you can stop. It's easy. But I'm... Speaking as pastor, I'm looking you in the eye and I'm telling you, I've never in 20 years of ministry had a poor or a middle-class person uh, come to me and say, I started tithing, but after a while I went back because God didn't show up. Maybe it happened, but no one has ever come to me in 20 years of ministry and say, yeah, I started tithing, but after a few years, I stopped. And, and, And then things got better. Now, I have heard from other folks that work in other churches, uh, that some rich people do do that. They start out tithing, and God gives them more, and they keep tithing, and God gives them more. But then when the tithe starts to hit numbers like where their 10% is $30,000 or $60,000 or $100,000, they just can't stand to give that kind of money away to anyone. God is letting them keep a quarter of a million dollars a year or half a million dollars a year or more for themselves and somehow that still isn't enough. I have heard of that happening, but that's not the same thing we're talking about. God did not stop meeting their needs. Heavens no. They just got plain greedy. Now don't do that. Scripture is very clear that does not turn out well. But for people who must genuinely trust in God to be able to give, I've never met one who found him untrustworthy. Tithing increases your faith. 
I will show you how. Let's start with not tithing and how it shrinks your faith. So you get paid, right? You receive the kingdom resources that are now time for you to invest, but you don't tithe. You begin with your needs. You begin with rent and mortgage and groceries and your other needs. And and then you have a little left at the end for life. And then the bad thing happens, right? The car wreck or the medical bill. And you still have a little left for life. so So you pay for it. And then you say, whew, it's a good thing I didn't tithe. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the money to do that. And your heart shrinks just a little because you've just told yourself, God doesn't take care of me. I, I have to make plans to take care of myself. There are, there are no miracles, not for me anyway. And you'll probably do it again next month. Now, let's look at the other way around. You get paid. You receive the kingdom money. But as a good steward, you do your stewardship duty. You give the first 10%, invest it as best you can tell into things that serve the kingdom of God. Then you attend to your needs. You pay your rent, pay your mortgage, buy your groceries. uh, And then there's nothing left. And then life happens. The car wreck or the medical bill. And there's nothing left. And you pray to God. And you say, God, I know that you are faithful. I look to you to provide this. And then he does. And now, at least from where you're looking, your faith suddenly grows because you have good enough for you. Scientific proof that God exists. And next month, you're a little more generous because you think, there's a real God out there who answers prayer. I can do this good thing. I can do this good thing. I am am backed up. By the creator of the whole universe. Your your heart grows three sizes that day. Your stress level goes down because you realize I have a deity in my corner. Your, Your joy goes up because it is such a wonderful feeling to have someone with that kind of authority watching over you. You begin to become the type of person that you wanted to become the whole time. From tithing? All that from tithing? Yes, all that from tithing. So we can hear pastors talk about that all day long, but I thought, what if we had some real people, some sane people even, um, come and share their story of of tithing. So let's welcome Max and Katrina LaFoy. Max and Katrina did not want to come share their story today because they thought it was too boring. But I said, we need some boring. When you talk about money, we don't want a crazy, wild-eyed person up here. So just, right... You, you really don't. So let's just have some normal people talk. That would be awesome. So thank you, especially in our culture where sometimes we don't talk about money with our own family. To stand up here, you are very, very brave. So thank you. So our question was, um, why? You guys tithe. Why? Um, well, for me, it's always just been kind of part of my family. We, my parents raised me and to you know, give part of my allowance and just something that I've always done. And since we've been married, we've continued that yeah I I did not grow up that way mm-hmm. <laughs> when we went to church it was kind of spot I you know hit or miss going to service anyway and then when we did I remember just when the tithing plate would go someone would just pull out oh here's a 20 this week or something so it was always kind of <clears throat> an afterthought I guess mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. not really off the top and so when we got married Max <laughs> it's like okay let's talk about our budget and he's like well we're gonna put 
you know, into tithing off the top, and I'm like, wait, what? Because <laughs> I was just not used to that, so it's kind of a different paradigm shift, but we've gotten used to it. Yeah, how was that adjustment for you? What? How was that adjustment for you? Um, I felt nervous. Yes. Just yeah. because, you know, I just always, I value security. <laughs> yes. So, um, but it's been fine. So, yeah. yeah. So h- how have you seen God show up in this practice? Um, we haven't had any car accident type stories to uh, trust, you know, to see God's just a complete miracle there. Um, but, you know, we've been faithful uh, in our tithe and God's been faithful to us. Uh, he's given us both great jobs when we were working, when we are um, at times where we wanted to change up our family situation, have Katrina stay home. He provided me with a raise or a new job. Mm. Um, he's provided us with uh, you know, a safe place to live. We've never been in a pinch from knowing, not knowing where our next meal is coming from. Uh, he's just been good to us. Yeah, wonderful. You guys have three daughters? Two daughters, two daughters and a son. Right, two daughters and a son. <laughs> Sorry, Oliver is a boy's name. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, yes, and they're they beautiful. So, um, <laughs> terrible. Um, Good. And now I've lost the third question. Do you have financial peace? What's that mean to you? Uh, yeah, I would say we do have that. Um, right when we got married, we, uh, we, somebody gave us a Dave Ramsey book, and we yeah. read through that and listened to it. And, yeah, my parents uh, also, you know. Family tradition, good, powerful. Good for them. <laughs> Family traditions are powerful, yeah. Uh, so we came out of college with some debt, uh, student loans, so we knocked that out. And uh, what well, else? Paid off. Your car? Yeah, paid off my car. We bought our next one with cash, with cash mm-hmm. you know, following most of his plans there. Uh, yeah. Gotten off the wagon a little bit, and uh, this series has prompted us to get the budget going again. Good. Uh, so, um, but we, we do have peace. We're not, uh, yeah. we're not struggling. Good. Thank you. Thank you, for, thank you for being normal. Thank you for being willing to t- <laughs> tell a story of just that folks with three kids and living in the suburbs can take these biblical principles and feel peace and, you know, and uh, I don't think anybody would have to be afraid or wonder about your story and probably can see themselves in you. I'm glad that. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. So our goal this year is we're going to change our values about money. And we're going to build a spending plan. You heard their spending plan. Started it. Getting back to it. For ourselves, it reflect the values of our family. And that's going to be a valuable tool in setting us free. And we said to do that, that there would be homework. So if you want to take out your homework card that was in your handout. Weeks one homework is on there from the, from the new year. And we just put, very simple, what do you make? Food, clothing, shelter. Get those basic needs into the spending plan. Now, if you are poor, that is all your spending plan will hold. What you make, food, clothing, shelter. Praise God. He provides all that you need. And I believe... If you're faithful to him, he will provide even more. The second week, we talked about security, enjoyment, that it takes both of those things to make a spending plan. Usually couples usually have one that values each and come together and make, use both of those ingredients, security and enjoyment. So when we added a whole bunch of things to our spending plan, if you are truly middle class, you were not able to get all of them in there. But I uh, know from... Many years of experience that God is very generous and he provides abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Stay with him and be faithful to him and you will, you will see his hand in your life. So turn it over on the back. This is week three's homework. 
First, to talk a little bit about saving for things short and long term that you know are not going to last. It'll be different at your house, but at my house, it's the water heater. It's been there since we bought the house, and it can't last forever. So we would be wise to put aside a little each month um, to, you know, because we know that's coming. Uh, Cars, they don't last forever. So pick how long you want them to drive them, and as 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 soon as you buy one, we try to make ours last like 10 years, so save over that time so when the next one comes, you can do what the LaFoy's did. Savings. And then lucky number 13, the full tithe. This is our duty of stewards to God. So put in 10% of your gross household income. And now you'll have to adjust all the items above that so it fits. Now, I recommend in the future that when you build spending plans for your family, you start with the tithe and make everything fit under it. But we're meeting everybody where you are. So now this becomes your prayer practice. You put in the tithe, and then as you have to lower something, you say, God, I'm so uncomfortable with having to lower this to that number. I pray to you that you would provide here. Some items you have to take out completely. Lord, I don't know what I'll do without that. Then I pray for your provision, because I know you cannot give God, and you are faithful. And now what you have in your spending plan is uh, the zones to keep your eye on for the miracles to occur. You know right where to look for your next miracle. Um, We talked this morning about one of the missions of the church is to spread the good news of the kingdom everywhere. And that often happens by one person inviting one person. And uh, it is spread through all the world like that. So we're celebrating this year the folks who make those invitations. So I'd like to welcome Jake Christofferson and the Baldry family who he would like to thank for inviting him. My name is Jake Christofferson, and I want to say thank you to the Bouldry family for inviting me into the Lakeland community. Before Lakeland came into my life, I was lonely, angry, and felt adrift in the world. I had not felt close to God in years and was just going through the motions of life. But then I was invited to Lakeland. The invitation was gradual. It started when Scott became my third grade leader. He stayed my leader all the way through high school. Scott and Jenny not only invited me into the community of Lakeland, but also into their family. This really impacted me because the Bouldry family set an amazing example of what it's like to be a compassionate leader in the community. Lakeland provided me a place to learn what it meant to be a man of Christ. I felt safe to share my thoughts and emotions without being judged at Lakeland. Over time, I became closer with God and closer with the community at Lakeland. I started to feel the joy of having a loving community that always has your back. And for this, I am truly thankful for the Bouldry family for inviting me into Lakeland. Scott and Jenny, nine years or more for you guys uh, in children and youth ministry. Thank you. Thank you for inviting everyone you've invited. I am so grateful you've done it just right. Uh, Jake is also one of our interns here. Um, He's the only intern we've ever allowed to do it right out of high school. He's just exceptional and one of my favorite people uh, to see in the office when I came in on Monday. So... um, You made an investment in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you knew it when you started out, but that is what God has done with it. So make your own invitations this week. You just don't know what God may do. Amen? Thank you, guys. Nap time for somebody. All right. Let us stand together.
Paul, in the middle of Ephesians, is so overwhelmed by the kingdom of God and the way God provides, he just has to stop and, and give this outburst of gratitude for all God does in the church and through the church, through his stewards throughout the world. So let us bless one another by reciting. Whose power, working in us, can do infinitely more than we can ask. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace and stay healthy.